You're listening to the Grown Girl Divorce Podcast, conversations between girlfriends who have the knowledge and information to educate and empower you before, during, and after a divorce. We are here to remind you that you're grown and you got this. Thank you for listening to the Grown Girl Divorce Podcast. I'm your host, Kimberly Cook. Let's talk about what to do when you can't afford or think you can't afford a lawyer. Let me start by saying a lawyer is not required for you to proceed in a divorce and custody matter. But just because something is not required does not mean it's not recommended. I will be the first to say I always think you should, at a minimum, consult with a lawyer. And as we go through the episode today, I will explain why even a consultation, even if you don't end up engaging that lawyer, can make all the difference in your process. But as a starting matter, having a lawyer is not required in a legal proceeding for divorce and parenting matters you are able to self-represent. The legal phrase for self-representation is pro se representation. So if you are intending to self-represent, you might hear the judge or opposing counsel refer to you as a pro se litigant. What that means is you are stepping in as counsel on your own. There are things that you should know, though. Because you have chosen to self-represent yourself, you will be held to the same standard, to the same process as a lawyer. So it's going to be really important that you educate yourself on the process, that you understand everything that is being asked of you or that you are agreeing to, that you track deadlines and that you have a way to get in touch with opposing counsel and the judge's clerk. Again, you are going to be held to the same standard responsibilities as a lawyer, so it's critically important that you do those things that are going to be required in your case. But let's start first with those resources that may be able to help you if you can't Higher counsel. In many states and uh, counties, or depending on your city, there are self help centers that provide a lot of information to help you understand the process. The good thing now is a lot of these resources and information are available online. Years ago, you'd have to physically go down to the courthouse or to the self-help center to get the information. But now, most of the information that you are seeking to help you through the process can be found online. But when I mention online, that's not just your standard Google search. You want to start in the county that you're in because that's the process, those are the court rules that are applicable to your area. So filing requirements in Los Angeles is very different than San Francisco, which is very different than in Chicago. It's 
important that you understand the process in your area. So when you're looking for self-help information, I want you to start with your local area and community. The great thing about the self-help centers or the self-help tools is they are designed to be user-friendly for the most part. Legalese is not easy, right? That's why lawyers go to law school. Even now, after all these years of practice, there are definitely times where I have to go back and grab a legal dictionary to understand certain words and phrases or to make sure that I understand the legal meaning and not kind of the layman's or everyday meaning of a word and phrase. So the documents and information that you're being provided in the self-help services should be, okay, I'm underlining that should be, relatively um, user-friendly, but don't be afraid to look up words and meaning that may um, be tricky for you or that you may not otherwise understand. As a quick side note, if you go to the GrownGirlDivorce.com website, we do have a free resource. It's a divorce dictionary. It's a glossary of sorts where it's sorted um, by the alphabet and you can click on the letters and uh, common divorce and legal phrases will come up. And so as you're working through, that may be a resource for you to kind of get that information. Okay. So self-help centers, those are going to be really helpful to you. The other thing often through a self-help center is sometimes they have volunteer attorneys or volunteer kind of hours. Those are hours where you can receive free assistance with completing the documentation or getting an understanding of the process. That's different than a free call service where you have volunteer lawyers who will answer kind of substantive questions. So make sure that if you are utilizing the services of like a self-help center that you ask of any kind of um, free legal advice, which is different than the hours where someone might be sitting or working at the center to help you complete process and documentation forms. The great thing about these services for the most part is that they're not income restrictive. I will talk in a moment about resources that may be available for individuals based on your income, but for self-help pro se services, those generally are not income restrictive. And so whether you are a millionaire or whether you know you have little to no means, you may utilize these services. So take advantage of those if you're intending to proceed pro se. The other thing to note, even if you do have counsel and you're working with a lawyer, it doesn't hurt to pull up the information that's available on uh, the self-help services sites or to go on your local county um, or the courthouse county sites to see what information they have available about the process. That's a good way for you to just get educated about the process when you're working with your lawyer. That's a way to save money on legal fees so that you have an understanding of here's what a motion is, here's what a pleading is, this is the discovery process. So I'm throwing out words to you that 
are all a part of the divorce process that you can familiarize yourself on your own time without then otherwise, you know, incurring fees when you're talking to your lawyer about these very things. So even if you do end up deciding to work with a lawyer, check out some of the resources that are available um, for self-help services or pro se representation because those uh, documents and information can be helpful even if you are being represented. Just a very quick on those resources which may be available to you if income is of concern. There are nonprofit organizations such as Legal Aid or Catholic Charities, the local and national bar associations. They often offer low cost or free representation based on your income. So if you qualify for other services uh, such as like WIC or TANF, then those services in terms of legal representation may also be available to you. Those are going to be income-specific services. So self-help, pro se litigation, doesn't matter whether you're rich or not. For things where uh, you really don't have the means or the income available to you, then you might be able to qualify for representation. So check out legal aid services, check out Catholic charities, check out the bar associations. Another resource, again, pointing you to our website, we do have for each state, if you go to our website, growngirldivorce.com, I want you to click on uh, your state link and that will pull up certain resources um, and information that may be available to you irrespective of your income, but it's a great way to get you started. Just a note, if you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't have the income, my spouse controls all the income, that's different than someone who doesn't have income or fit within income parameters. So you yourself may not qualify for services through certain nonprofits um, because you are married to someone who has the resources available. So that is going to be a distinction. I wanted to pull that out in case you're thinking, oh, I should be able to, or I might qualify because I don't have access to. Having access to is different um, in terms of what these organizations are looking for. All right. So we're going to research and look into our pro se self-help centers. That's going to be a good resource for you or looking into certain organizations that might otherwise help you. Once you've done that, I do want you to contact a lawyer. Here's why. Lawyers can and often do provide great information in limited fashion. What do I mean? The consultation. So there are lawyers who may offer a free or a low cost 30 minute or one hour consultation. These are great because you can go and get the answers to specific questions from someone who practices divorce and family law. So use that as a resource. Now, they're not gonna tell you the whole strategy of your case, right? I mean, think of it this way. The consultation, 
when you meet with them. They're just consulting with you. You're giving them one side of the story, very limited information, and then they're going to give you kind of their 30,000 foot uh, view um, of what the case strategy could be or look like. But it's not going to be a deep dive because they actually don't know the ins and outs of your case. So keep that in mind when you think about meeting with somebody for a consultation. A consultation really is an overview, but that overview can be very helpful if you know what to ask during the consultation, if you know how to organize your thoughts for the consultation, and if you also know what your end game is. So let's break those down. The ask. Well, first and foremost, if you're not actually intending to uh, retain counsel, then the goal of your consultation is certainly not going to be to vet different lawyers to try to find the best one for you. Okay. You're getting the consultation as an information gathering tool to then help you in the self-help or pro se process. Those are very different things. So the questions that we're asking if we're intending to work with a lawyer are all about who they are, what their strategy, what their experience, their education, their background, all of those things, because those are centered around someone else helping you through the process and you wanting to get to know them. Those are different questions than I'm actually intending to represent myself. And so the answers that I need have to do more with, you know, where can I find information about child support? Or, you know, what does uh, local judges or what have you seen judges do uh, on parenting matters? Or I have an issue with taxes. What information do you think would be helpful for me to get going on this issue. You want to have really targeted, really specific questions about your situation. Now, keep in mind, they will do a delicate balance here because they will recognize that they don't have all the information and they're not going to get all the information in that 30 minute to one hour time frame. So they're going to give you an overview of what their thoughts are, where you can maybe look to get more information or what they have seen. But this is an information gathering process for you because now you're getting valuable information for free or low cost. Reason I keep saying low cost is because there are lawyers who charge for a consultation. So don't be surprised if you call around and there are lawyers who say, yes, we're $300 for an hour for a consult, or it's a complimentary consultation, but it's 20 minutes. Here's what I'm going to say. If you can afford the hour, do the hour. 20 minutes goes really fast. And in that 20 to 30 minute time frame, they are really looking to kind of hook you as a client. They don't know that your interest and intention is to really represent yourself. Now, You can be honest about, I'm looking to represent myself. I do have some questions. I don't know how many lawyers will actually kind of take that consultation if you tell their secretary or their paralegal that, 
when you are um, interviewing or looking to uh, get on their schedule. Because again, the goal for lawyers is to get clients, right? And so if everybody is kind of calling around saying, hey, I want to pick your brain. I want to talk to you for an hour. Um, not because I'm going to hire you, but because I want to do it myself. You know, the the response may not be that great. So if you are in a position where you can afford one hour of paid time, then do that. It's going to be worth it. But make sure that you're prepared because you are paying for that. So list out the questions that you have about your unique and specific situation so that the minute you sit down and that clock starts ticking, you can really have things set and ready to go. But meeting with a lawyer for a consultation is a great way to get really good information and can help you kind of move to the next step and phase without then um, having a full kind of engagement or uh, relationship with them. That's one way. The other thing that you may find when contacting a lawyer is that you might actually be able to afford to work with them, but just not in the way that you think. So there are lawyers who offer certain differing ways to work with them. So there's flat fee representation. Flat fee means for $1,000, I will do 10 hours of work for you and on your case. Or, you know, you pay $3,000 and we're going to do everything we can for your case. But once that $3,000 is up, that's it. That's flat fee representation. Other lawyers may offer payment plans. Don't be afraid to ask. There's no shame. And again, if your concern is, I don't have access to the resources, but my spouse has resources, then say that in the consultation and be very clear in saying, listen, I don't have access. What I have is a credit card or I've got a couple hundred bucks in a savings account. Can we work out some sort of payment plan to get us started and then, you know, move to ask for my spouse to then offset the cost. There is something that you should know though. All legal fees are to be covered by the individual who incurs them unless there is a court order requiring payment to from the other person. I want that to sit with you for a minute. There's a huge misconception that my spouse is going to have to cover my fees. Here's the thing. Unless there is a court order that says otherwise, when you enter into a contractual relationship, that's what you're doing when you're working with a lawyer. You are signing a contract for representation. They will represent you in exchange for fees. You're responsible for those fees at the end of the day. I have seen many, many, many women find themselves in big financial trouble because they assumed that the court would require their soon-to-be ex or, you know, their co-parent to pay 100% of the legal fees that they owed to their lawyer, and that didn't happen. 
And then they had a lawyer who said, you can't afford to continue to pay me. So I'm dropping you as a client or, you know, I'm taking a lien out against your home. I've seen some really things, some really ugly things. Let me say that. I've seen some really ugly things happen to women who assumed that their ex or co-parent was going to be totally responsible. So I want to make it very clear that even if the other person has resources, do not bank on that. It can happen. And in some cases, it definitely does happen where a court orders that the other person pays, you know, 50% or 90% or even 100% of the fees that you have incurred. However, until that judge has signed off on it, you are responsible. So I want you to make sure that you have already identified a lawyer who is open to working with you based on what you can afford. And that might include some type of a payment plan. So just be mindful, but certainly ask because you'll be surprised how many lawyers are really open to the idea of a payment plan. The other thing that you might want to ask a lawyer is about a limited scope representation arrangement. Limited scope is really just that. There are limited issues that need to be addressed and um, I need help getting these things kind of addressed. One of the things that I see often on limited scope are things like we went to mediation, we've worked out a full agreement, but now we need somebody to take it over the finish line. In some states, a mediator cannot file documents on your behalf and so you often then need a lawyer to uh, do that on your behalf. So I've seen many lawyers do limited scope representation, which is we're pretty much done. We just need somebody to help with the process and make sure that all you know T's are crossed and I's are dotted to get us finished. So there is something that uh, many lawyers offer and that's limited scope representation. Again, even if you think that, oh, I cannot afford a lawyer, I want you to call just in case. And when you call, you're going to ask about their different arrangements. So whether they offer flat fee, payment plans, or limited scope, because maybe you can find something that'll work for you. Also, the consultation is a great way, even if they don't have flat fee, limited scope, or payment plans, having a great consultation with somebody could really help you. Just a very uh, quick kind of a practitioner's note here. When you're meeting with lawyers, lawyers know other lawyers. And so be very upfront about your finances and saying, you know, as much as I would love to work with you, I'm not in a financial position to do so. Do you happen to know another lawyer or a law firm or organization who might be able to take my case or work with me? And there's a good chance that they may be able to refer you to somebody else. So don't be afraid to be upfront about what you're you know, financial means are and, um, and getting the information so that you can get the help. So I said this a moment ago about kind of limited scope, but I want to expand on a cost saving mechanism, especially when you feel like, oh, I can't afford a lawyer. Try mediation. Trying mediation can be a great way to get most of your case done 
without having a lawyer involved and then maybe later hiring a lawyer to get it over the finish line. So if you're thinking from the outset, I just cannot afford a lawyer and we've got parenting schedule issues or we've got to figure out what we're going to do with um, the house, reach out to mediators. Mediators are going to be less expensive than both of you trying to hire your own lawyer. So that's first. Mediation is cost effective. The second thing, most mediators don't require you to have counsel to participate in the process. Now, there are some mediators who will only do your case if you are represented, but the majority of mediators will take your case if you are not represented or you're pro se and uh, will help you kind of over the finish line. Depending on where you live, there are free mediation services and organizations who offer free mediation services. So check that out as well. Again, you can get a lot of your stuff done before retaining counsel and that's what we want for you. We want to get you out of this process um, you know, with it, with the least amount of kind of financial strain as possible. And look, I get it. I know you're probably thinking, you know, Kim, didn't you do this for the better part of, you know, 17 years? Yes. However, I know how expensive going through a divorce is. And I have seen financial ruin for many families. And I don't think it's okay. And so one of the reasons that I do the podcast, but also wanting to share and provide certain free resources is because I want to make sure that everybody is educated during the process so that the money that you have for your college kids, for your little kids, for your retirement account, that as you know, in large part can stay with your family. I really think um, it's really important to be mindful of the costs and fees involved in the litigation process or in the divorce process because I know it can get expensive really quickly. So going back to another way to kind of save money or if we cannot afford a lawyer, we're gonna try mediation to see what we can work out. The other great thing about trying mediation is you might have about 10 issues that the two of you have to work through and maybe you don't resolve all 10. Maybe you resolve eight of those. Well, that's great because now you have two that you have to get resolved that gives you a better chance and opportunity to go to a lawyer and say, we've resolved eight issues in mediation we have these two, we just need a little bit of help. Is this something that you can then help me with on a limited scope or some sort of a payment plan or even a flat fee arrangement? So again, trying mediation may in the long run help you even if you end up in a situation where you really do need counsel. Now you've limited the issues that need to be resolved and addressed, and that's gonna be cost savings, and that might then be a situation where you can, in fact, afford counsel. But if you can't, 
Again, we have the resources that we've already looked into from the Pro Se Self-Help Center, as well as looking into the nonprofit or other organizations that you might qualify for to then get you over the finish line. The last thing that we are going to talk about um, when we're thinking about what to do when we can't afford a lawyer is borrowing money. And I want to talk about this from um, the perspective of knowing that sometimes you really do need a lawyer and you really just can't afford it and you have no other option. Borrowing funds is really dicey. As I think I've mentioned throughout this process, and by this process, I mean the divorce process, can get really expensive very quickly. Um, both on legal fees, but on other costs. So there are filing costs that, you know, the minute you file a document or petition for dissolution of marriage or petition um, to change custody, there are certain costs that um, are bedded into the process. There are other costs associated with issuing a subpoena or taking a deposition of a witness or involving another expert. All of these things, unfortunately, come at a cost. And, you know, um, as with anything, costs are steadily rising. So you might find yourself in a situation where you really do have to borrow the funds. So I want to talk about those things that I want you to do and not do if you find yourself in the situation where you have no other choice uh, but to borrow funds. So first, if you're in a situation where you need to borrow funds, then be really clear about the amount that you're going to need to borrow. If you are in a situation where your case is already proceeding and you have a huge outstanding balance with your law firm and they are saying to you, we can no longer represent you because you have an outstanding balance. Do not be fooled that if you pay the outstanding balance, that that's good and then everything's going to keep going. That's not how that works. Generally speaking, what happens, you have to pay the outstanding balance and then come up with another retainer or another set amount of funds so that they're not constantly chasing you down. If you're finding yourself in a situation where you cannot keep up with the cost and fees of your current law firm, then you really do need to start looking for a good law firm, but maybe one that has less expensive um, fees for their lawyers. Because what we don't want to do is to keep kind of digging this really big hole for legal fees and costs that you really can't afford. So if you're going to borrow money to pay off an outstanding balance, right, then only borrow that set amount. Do not borrow over and above that. That's first. Borrow the set amount that you need to cover the outstanding balance and have whatever it is, whether it's all on one credit card or all on one personal loan, or if you're borrowing it from family or friends, document it as a promissory note and be very clear what it is. Outstanding balance of X amount of dollars owed to X firm. And here's the start of the repayment period. Here's the interest or here's the repayment plan. 
associated with those funds specifically. The reason that I don't want you to mix and mingle the things that you're borrowing is because things start to get lost in the shuffle, especially later during your divorce process when you're asking for your either co-parent or your soon-to-be ex or whomever to cover certain costs and fees. There are going to be a lot of questions about what was incurred and why and you know how this got mixed with this. So I want everything to be very clean so that it's here's the credit card that was used to pay off law firm A. The only thing that is on this credit card is the outstanding balance owed to law firm A, and I pay the minimum balance every month for this bill. Or here is the promissory note that I um, received from my cousin who loaned me $10,000 or whatever the amount is to pay off the outstanding balance to law firm B. Here is the repayment plan. These are the only funds that were borrowed. Here's the account that it went in. So you've got a whole kind of, you know, system in place that tracks exactly what goes where to whom and what it was for. We want to stay very organized in this process if you are borrowing funds. Okay. Now, if you don't have an outstanding balance, but you need funds for new legal fees, it's going to be very similar. Open a new credit card or get a personal line of credit or, um, you know, a loan from a family or friend that is just for these fees. It's not for legal fees and housing expenses. It's not for legal fees and medical costs. No. One set of funds for the legal fees and have it very clear about here's the date that I took this loan out. Here's the account statement. Here's the original amount. You know, I want you to have all of those things put together and organized again so that if you are standing before a judge and the question is, well, ma'am, how do I know that this $10,000 credit card wasn't used to buy a new purse or new shoes? Or it's my understanding that you furnished a new place because you moved out of the marital residence. You want to be able to give them the statement that shows this card and every transaction on this card is only related to legal fees and the payments that are associated with have all been, you know, directed for legal fees. That makes it very clear what it's for. If you are borrowing from family and friends, this is not the opportunity to mix things up. If someone is going to gift you the money, that's fine. Have them write a check or transfer funds and it's a gift, but we are not going to mix gift and loan interchangeably. A gift is someone, is something that somebody gave you and there's no expectation of repayment and you can use as you wish. A loan, there is an expectation of repayment and generally it's for a specific purpose. If you are being loaned money from family 
you need to have a promissory note listing out, here's the amount of money that's being borrowed. Here are the repayment terms. Here is, you know, um, the source of funds that were being used and where you want to lay it out very clearly. It should be signed and notarized and ideally witnessed by somebody who is not related if, in fact, you can't get it notarized. So a promissory note is a must if you are borrowing funds from family and friends. The other thing to make sure if you're doing a promissory note, make sure it's complete. I've seen many promissory notes that people um, put together and then they don't actually have it completed, meaning they don't list out what the repayment plan is. They just put, I'm loaning my sister $10,000 and then that's it. And here we are in court. And the first thing the judge says is, yeah, uh, this wasn't really a promissory note. This isn't a real loan. It doesn't tell me what the repayment plan is. It doesn't tell me when it's supposed to start. It doesn't tell me if there's interest that's going to be accrued. You have to actually do a real promissory note. If you're not intending to repay the person, then call it what it is. And that's a gift. If they're not expecting you to repay it, okay, it's a gift. Now, if it is a gift to you, then make sure it's made out to you specifically and it's not a gift to the marriage. It needs to be very clear. I'm gifting my sister $10,000 for her legal fees and I gave it to her on this day and I wired the funds or I gave her a check, whatever it is, make sure that it's really clear. On the flip side, if it's a loan, Again, we signed the promissory note before two witnesses and a notary, and we agreed that the repayment of $25 a month would begin on the first of, you know, the next month. Um, and she has been paying $25 a month against the balance. The agreement is that no interest will accrue so long as payments are made. And here, Your Honor, are the list of payments based on the check or the transaction history that have been made repaying the loan. So take it very seriously if you are borrowing money from family and or friends, because again, the goal here is to make sure that we can try to get, um, you know, the payment made from your soon-to-be ex or co-parent if later you're asking for them to contribute to your fees. It makes it much easier for you to be able to make that argument when you've kept things very clean. But we really do want to try to avoid borrowing funds if we really can, but sometimes we just can't. Okay. So as we've gone over in today's episode, you can proceed through the process without a lawyer. Is it recommended? No, but can you do it? Yes. And if you do it, then we've talked about the ways that you can do it. So let's just run it back one more time. You're going to look into the free resources that may be available to you, regardless of whether or not you qualify based on your income. So looking into the pro se self-help services that might be available in your community, in your town, in your city, we're starting there. Separately, look into state or other resources that might in fact be 
um, income restrictive or income specific because there are resources that are available based on certain income requirements. So look into those as well to see if you in fact qualify. Even if you qualify or even if you decide to represent yourself and are going to go through the self-help process, still meeting with a lawyer to get great and valuable information from the consultation and whether you get a consultation that's free or that is low cost because maybe it's an hour or so, taking advantage of that as a resource to help get valuable information as you proceed in this process. Also important to meet with the lawyer to make sure that we actually know whether or not we can afford it because maybe we can if we ask them about flat fee representation, payment plans, or limited scope representation. So it may be possible that we can actually afford to work with somebody if they have any of these arrangements. Despite any of these things, we should consider starting with mediation because mediation as a whole will help mitigate our overall cost and fees in the process. So if finances are of real concern, starting with mediation is a great way to knock out some of our issues without incurring extensive cost and fees, whether we're working with a lawyer or not. So looking into mediation to resolve the issues can be very cost effective and we don't have to have a lawyer in mediation. And then last but not least, if we are going to um, borrow funds, making sure that we document and keep things separate so that later, if there's ever a question about where the funds came from, what they were used for, we have them organized in a way that makes it very easy and transparent for the court to see and understand. As always, sharing is caring. So please share this episode with others because you never know who may need the support. Please go to our website, GrownGirlDivorce.com. There are other resources and information available. And please subscribe to the podcast. We really want to um, expand the reach and make sure more women just like you are getting the information that you so need and deserve. Thank you for listening to the Grown Girl Divorce Podcast. Remember, though you may be going through a difficult time, you're grown and you got this. Please be sure to tell your girlfriends about us. Follow us on Instagram at Grown Girl Divorce and subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss out on any new conversations. The conversations on this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to substitute working directly with a lawyer. These episodes are not to be used as a basis to support or defend any legal action and transcripts or recordings of the podcast may not be used for any purpose without the direct written permission of the podcast owner.